this is my obligatory PDJ joke, so it's not actually <laughs> a butter and jelly, but as long as you don't eat it off the floor. That's right. <laughs> Just make sure to store the bread, the peanut butter, Everything and the jelly off. on a shelf. You don't want your mice getting through a PDJ. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Generally Accepted Accounting Podcast. That's GAP for all you accounting nerds. It's a podcast produced by Casey Peterson, LTD. We're a firm of CPAs and financial advisors based in Rapid City, South Dakota. And we'll be talking about tax, finance, accounting, audit, and a bunch of other topics that sound really boring, but that we're going to make hip and cool. Or we'll try anyway. So stick around to learn more. Whether you manage a nursing home, work in one, or are considering one for a loved one, this episode is for you. Our resident nursing home experts, Charles Frizzell and Jackie Jermalenko, discuss the three main criteria for determining a nursing home's star rating. There's also the obligatory joke about PBJ not relating to a sandwich. Spoiler alert, it stands for payroll-based journaling, which does not sound nearly as tasty as a sandwich. And some bonus material about reimbursements for nursing homes increasing in South Dakota starting in July. Other spoiler alert, it's a good thing. You know what to do. Listen in to learn more. So welcome back to GAP. And today we're continuing our healthcare series uh, with an episode about nursing homes, specifically the star rating system and some of the staffing models. And our guests today are members of our healthcare team, Charles Frizzell and Jackie Jermalenko. So thank you guys for being on the show today. So we're going to jump right in and do a little bit of history so as not to completely uh, bore uh, the holy living side out of people, but to give them a little background. So when did this whole star rating for nursing homes, when did it when did it start? And like, what, what were the reasons that the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare started to try to adopt it? So the star rating system started in 2008 through an order by the government. The main reasoning they wanted to start publishing any information relating to the star rating is they wanted to make community members, people in the public, be able to look up and say, is this a good nursing home for my family or is this a nursing home I should maybe avoid because I don't like some one of the metrics I'm seeing? It can be something as simple as, hey, they have a lot of pressure ulcers and I don't want my family members sitting stationary that much because maybe they have a history of blood clots or whatever it be. It allows those people from the community to make educated decisions. Okay. So it's mostly for consumers to be able to say, hey, I got to put grandpa on a home. I want to pick one that isn't going to make me feel awful that I picked this one. Another aspect is it also publishes if you get any CMPs or civil monetary penalties. So investors can also look and say, gosh, is this nursing home getting charged $100,000 a year in penalties for care-related issues? Okay. So there is also a component of of investors being able to look at grades and star ratings and say, I don't want to put my money here. They've got some issues they need to to address. I think it's nice for the um, families of someone who they are considering putting into a nursing home. You can go out here um, in this system and pull up three nursing homes within a 50 mile radius of where your parent or grandparent is from, and you can compare them and see which one you would like them to be in. Right. Which is especially nice in maybe some rural areas where it could be hundreds of miles. Is it worth it to put them in there? Is something closer to home better? And to be able to weigh the benefits and drawbacks of that. Yes, exactly. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about these star ratings. Like how, what are they, how do they work and what are they used for? The star ratings work. There is a, you get three different metrics you get graded on. You can be graded from a one-star facility all the way up to a five-star. 
the first metric evaluated, and it's the one where it bases your rating, is on your survey. So if you have a really good survey with your State Department of Health, you're already starting with a leg up in the calculation. And anyone's survey rating, any star rating that matters, so the staffing, the quality metrics, those can all be looked up on Care Compare which is a CMS website that publishes all of this information. And one thing that Charles already mentioned, that there are three areas, your health inspection, your staffing, and your, your quality measures. And you get between a one and five star in each of those areas, and then you get an overall star. Okay. The interesting thing about that to me, and what I find somewhat interesting and unfair, is the fact that within each state, because it's done by a state level, 20% of all the nursing homes in the state are going to fall into a one level, which is the lowest level. No matter what. No matter what. And 10, mm. only 10% are going to get fives, no matter what. So you're going to look at the state and they're basically saying, doesn't matter. We know we're going to say 20% of all nursing homes are far below average. Right. Whether or not that's actually true, no matter what they're doing for the community. Right. No matter necessarily their level of care, they've just said, this is this is a system. You've got high performers and you've got low performers, and we've arbitrarily decided this is what it is. Yes. Okay. Oh, so it's kind of graded on a curve, but a, a weird kind of biased towards the bottom side curve then in that way? That's what I thought when I looked at it, because why, why can't 20% be at the top and at the yeah. bottom or 10% at the top and at the bottom? And why do that at all? Why not just say if your your stars are what your stars are? If you have a good survey, if you have other great metrics, then why do you got why do you have to be relegated to the bottom? Yeah. Why does yeah. you know there are sixty homes if there are sixty homes in South Dakota, why do twelve of them have to be far below average? Right. Maybe South Dakota's doing a great job. Uh, it's almost harder for the consumers then, because they may just look at an overall star rating and say, Oh, I don't want to do this. And not go into the individual metrics to say, well, that's actually not that bad. This is just their the rating they received. Yes, exactly. They, in their state survey, they may not have gotten dinged on anything like where it's provide or is substantial harm to a resident or a resident or anyone in the facility. But because of this curve that no matter what, 20 percent are graded as being below far below average, yeah. you end up with that situation where the facility can't win even if they do well in their survey. Right. So, I mean, at that point, what is what is the motivation to even try if odds are you're just going to if you're already at the bottom 20 percent? Exactly. But I don't like that. the motivation would be obviously patient care and let's take care of our residents. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you do want to you should track metrics. You should make yes. sure that there's no major issues because that is the right thing to do. Um, it's just hard when you're doing the right thing and you're not being rewarded by the system. Exactly. That's interesting and completely unfair. So we'll move right along. <laughs> so what, are, what criteria does CMS use when it is assigning the star ratings? Well, and I think Charles already somewhat addressed that. It's the health inspections, the staffing, okay. and then the quality measures. Health inspections are obviously based on the state survey. Okay. But they're also, in that section also takes into account any complaints that family members may have had and reported to the state. Okay. So if they say, um, I put my dad in here and he wasn't moved around enough or didn't have access to enough activities or things like that. that right. That's that. part of those complaints to the state get okay. included in that health inspection area, as well as how many times a surveyor has to go back to the facility to correct any deficiencies that they may have had on the actual original. Uh, so, they, so the state, like the state health department visits and they find a deficiency and they say, hey, you need to address this. 
and it takes multiple visits for them to get that issue addressed. Yes. So they have to, the state will come back and, they will, and make sure that you're fixing it. And if you don't fix mm -hmm. it, then it shows up. That's what it's reflected. Or there. Yep. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the surveys. Like what's all included in the survey and how does that, that's just self-reporting from on the part of the nursing homes or how does that all work? That is highly clinical. And so for financial people, so it's difficult, I think, to say, Charles, but the survey is very lengthy, mm -hmm. very long. It includes how you treat residents with their resident rights, okay. how the behavior of residents are in your nursing home, your quality of care, your nursing services. They look into the dietary piece, the maintenance piece. I think Charles had an example of someone who their backup generator wasn't working. That'll get you a big ding because that'll create yeah. harm so, if the power goes out. So there, the surveys are huge. That's a big piece of the whole of the three of the three components, right? So yeah. why, with it, with the health inspection and the survey and all that sort of stuff. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> like in dietary, they'll evaluate and say, like one of the big things is you don't put food directly on the floor. Oh, okay. You, they want it raised <laughs> off the floor. Sure. Wait, what? <laughs> wait, wait. So they so. <laughs> So like so like the bo the boxes of food themselves. Oh, okay. okay. They don't want. Yeah, to, I would say they don't you want... should probably not serve your residents off the floor. Though. <laughs> <laughs> no, the food storage is. They don't want it on the floor because then if a pest gets in, then oh, you have a pest I right see. there. Sure. So that's a okay. huge infection control sanitation issue. You got a big box of rice that came from a vendor. You have to store it on shelves so that mice and things aren't getting into it. Okay. Yeah. I think Charles sense. and I'm not certain, but a survey isn't just. They come in for three hours and leave. Surveys can last three to four days, oh, wow. sometimes the, even a full week. Okay. The experience and, I have, and CMS has been doing this more and more, any facility that they deem to be a struggling facility, not struggling like financially or even care-wise, but has an area that they could improve, say their staffing score is really slow, they might pop in on you on a Sunday. Oh, so it's sort of like a se they're going to secret trapper you almost. Oh. <laughs> Just when you least this. Oh, yes. Yeah. Surveys are not... Um, not planned out. Uh, they're not Monday through Friday. So most most facilities, if they had a survey in April 2022, they're expecting something in April of 2023, nice. but not necessarily can come before. It can come after. Okay. Surveys are very scary in a nursing home. Yeah. It's like yeah. the uh, like the the food. Uh, what am I looking for? Like like at, when a restaurant gets a uh, food credit inspector, health inspector, inspector showing up un unannounced. Okay. You get scared, you get nervous, right? You start to maybe make mistakes, mistakes or you treat them as if they're bad people when they are not necessarily. They're there to mm -hmm. come in and sure. make sure you're treating the residents the way the law stipulates. And on a weekend, so, they're expecting maybe that may not be your best people, theoretically. So they're going to check to make sure that all the standards are still. Yes, that you're still following standards, whether you're D-O-N is in the building or not. Okay. I could see how that'd be scary. I mean, especially with how in-depth that those surveys are. I mean, it's a little bit like what, if I get pulled over by a cop and I wasn't really doing anything wrong, I just get inexplicably nervous. Yes, like, exactly. Oh my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> your hand shakes as you're pulling out your driver's license. Oh my gosh, what did yeah. I do? Yes, yes. I totally get that, yeah. Yeah, That's so that's a huge piece of the whole, of the three stars. There's more weight when that, that piece of that survey and that health inspection and the other two areas. You're talking rules, laws, regulations, health and safety standards, those kinds of things. So it would make sense that that would be right. more heavily weighted. 
And nursing homes are highly regulated, so there's a lot of things you have to do right. Right. Mm -hmm. it's something as simple as leaving a piece of equipment in the hallway, if a surveyor sees that, mm. they're going to ding you for it because that's a tripping hazard. Gotcha. So they are sticklers for the rules. And they also will interview residents, actual residents in the nursing home. They'll interview them and see what they have to say about their care and their service. So, so not just uh, are you are you following all the rules and regulations, but yeah. let's talk to the let's people. let's talk to the people. Yep. Interesting. So, what happens when a nursing home becomes a special focus facility? That sounds bad. <laughs> that is bad. I'll let Charles handle that. <laughs> so, what a special focus facility is is it's a facility that has been deemed to needing attention in one area or another. It might be they had a really rough survey for consecutive years. When a facility is a special focus facility, they get a little warning sign. It's a yellow triangle with an explanation point in on the cool. Care Compare website. Yikes. And it just means that you're going to have to work, talk with the Department of Health to, for your state to figure out why is this facility deemed a special focus. So what? Ha so how hard is it then for a facility to to fix that and not become a special focus facility? So if you've fallen into that designation, like Jackie mentioned, the surveyors are not your enemies. You need to work with them because they're they're going to be the ones that can tell you, how do I get out of this classification? Sure. They know what you've done wrong to be put in that category. So they'll be able to work with you to say, here's what you need to correct inside your facility to get out of this classification. So if a, if you, if a nursing home is designated as a special focus facility, and let's say it is, it's the survey they've had multiple dings on that over the course of multiple years. If they fix that, is there a certain period of time, like if they address all of those issues within a year, can they remove that designation or is there is it a longer period of time than that? So it depends how severe the uh, tags you get are. So tags are what it's called when you get something on the survey. It goes A through, I think, J or K. Oh man, we just blew by yes. F and we just kept wow. going. We're using almost half the alphabet. Yeah. I never yes, got those do. grades. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have tags all the way through there. The lower it is in the alphabet, so if you get an A or a B tag, those are less severe tags than if you're getting up into those J or I, J, K area. Really, if you can work with your surveyors, the sooner you can get those tags addressed, get them so that the next year when the survey comes around, so survey. The annual survey only comes around once a year. So if you have if you've always had it in April, it might vary a little bit. You could they could show up as early as January, February. They could also show up as late as July. Oh wow. Okay. You just know it's coming in that next calendar year at some point. So there's a I think there's a fifteen month a fifteen month mm -hmm. period where they have to come back within fifteen months of the last survey. Okay. And a lot of times from are ex from the experience I had working in a facility, they always pick between nine and 15. Sure. So that's why I went, if it's always April or it was April last year, you know, three months back or three months forward, there's your six month survey window gotcha. of what's traditional. Now, if you have a complaint survey, they'll show up unannounced and come in and investigate. Okay, so if a family member does call up the state and say, this, this is a problem and they've received similar complaints, they, they may show up. Just randomly, no matter what. Mm -hmm. okay. Family member calls and says, you know, my mom has a lot of unexplained bruises. I don't know why. Are they handling her too rough? The state will take that and say, okay, we need to go do a visit and investigation. 
So that's completely outside of the survey window. That is just a, a one-off. Yep. Mm -hmm. I did look up uh, special focus facilities, and South Dakota has five of them currently. Wow. Yeah. Seems high, high, which is, seems high. Yeah. For a state of our size. Nope. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the quality measures. How important are those, and, and how, do the, how does a quality measure, how does that work? What does that mean exactly? So I would say the quality measure and the staffing pieces are equally kind of important to the score from your health inspection piece. So if you combine those two pieces together, they almost equal what the health inspection by itself, are you saying that they... No, the health inspection score is the primary number that you're going to get. The okay. staffing and the quality measures will increase or decrease your health inspection score by either one, by one, one way or the other, or it'll leave it the same. So they each have like a, what, two-fifths? I don't know. That's yeah, not. so they're two-fifths here. <laughs> They'd be about two-fifths of your grade or 40%, 60% of your grade comes from that annual survey. I got you. Okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. There's math involved. There's math involved. <laughs> always with accounts. There's always math involved. Numbers on an accounting <laughs> podcast. Oh, my what? gosh. So weird. So when we say a facility's quality measurements, like what are we talking about specifically? So there are two different types depending on if it's a short stay, which is a resident who is in your facility for 100 days or less or a long stay resident who will be there for over 100 days. On a short stay, there's a variety. If, you, if a res resident receives a antipsychotic medication for the first time, if they have pressure ulcers or pressure injuries, any that are readmitted to the hospital, go to the ER, the rate that they successfully go back home, long stay, that since they're not going back home, they're coming into the nursing home for that to be their new home. They're so like a readmittance kind of thing. You go to the hospital, but then you're sent back to the nursing home kind of thing instead mm -hmm. of going home. Okay. Whereas the long stays, they're more evaluating. They still evaluate pressure ulcers because that's something the state is always concerned about. They don't want the residents just being put in bed and left there, unfortunately. And but so for those, those who may not understand a pressure ulcer basically is what we would have previously referred to as a bed sore. Yes. Okay. Yep. Evaluating things like UTIs, have had a catheter left in their bladder or anything like that. Anything that would decrease your quality of life. Okay. So when you say quality measure, what it really means is what kind of quality of life do the residents of the facility have in these measurable terms as infection rates and pressure ulcers and admittance to hospital and infections and things like that. And I just also wanted to say that these quality measures are taken from the MDSs that are done. Um, so every, sets. yep. So every new resident that comes in has an MDS done when they come in. So where are you at? Like what and then your you, mental state, how healthy are you? Did you break a hip? What do we need to know so that they can compare? Yes. These are also very lengthy forms. Oh, MDS forms are right. And then uh, they also, CMS also uses your claims data. Like when you're billing CMS or you're billing Medicaid, they use that data to determine sure. how many times someone got discharged to a hospital, how many times someone went to an ER, that kind of thing. Okay. So there's a short-term resident who maybe gets checked in, is there for fewer than 100 days, gets sent home, but then gets back into the nursing home. That is also something that they track as well. Right. Is that right? Right. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, a lot of data. A lot of data, yes. And um, as far as the quality measures, you were asking about whether a facility could track those oh, yeah. quality measures. And you probably could. Okay. Um, 
because there are certain percentages, like of a percentage of someone with a pressure ulcer, if you're in a certain percentage range, they give you X number of points for that. And so each of those percentages and the quality measures, you're getting points and those points are getting added up. Okay. So if a facility went to like the care and compare website, they could theoretically drill down to see those metrics or is it just something that the... No, I was thinking actually a facility could theoretically create some sort of work paper or spreadsheet where they're listing all of the items that CMS is looking at and with their own internal data, with whatever software they're using, because they've got the MDS and they see it, they could track it if they truly wanted to know where they were going to land. Okay. So that may, whether or not that's... uh, Whether or not it is worth it or not is... You have the staff to be able to look at it and make sense of what it means, have the software to track it. Uh, Is it impacting your score enough Enough to make it worth your time to sit and determine where you're going to land? Yep. Um, Maybe say you got a three-star survey, so you're sitting there and you're looking at your quality metrics and saying, I'm at four-star. If I can bump that four-star to five-star, I get my overall increased. To a four. So that could then help maybe. Okay. If you're going to drill down and look that closely. Right. If you're Um, you're that set on raising your star rating. On the other hand, if you're in your facility and you know what's going on and you realize that you've got a bunch of people that are experiencing pressure ulcers that you don't even need to look at the numbers to say, hey, we need to do something to help. Not only help these residents, but actually Let's address the issues. What's yes. the underlying problem? Yes. Why is this happening? Yes. I don't need a spreadsheet or a software to tell me. Right. right. If you're in the facility and you're the director of nursing, you probably yep. can gather that in your head. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. something's wrong here. My aides need training right. or something to help with those situations. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the that we probably as an accounting firm help with the most, which is the staffing and payroll based journaling. This is my obligatory PDJ joke, so it's not actually <laughs> a better <and> jelly, but <laughs> as long as you don't eat it off the floor. That's right. <laughs> as long as it's off the shelf, it's fine. That's just okay. make sure that just make sure to store the bread, the peanut butter, Everything and the jelly else. on a shelf. You don't want your mice getting to the PDJ. <laughs> So, Charles, do you want to talk a little bit about what payroll-based journaling is and what our piece of that is and how we help? Yeah, so payroll-based journal or PBJ came out about, oh, what would it be? I'm, I'm starting to feel old right now. I'd say it's about five years. And what they're doing is they're collecting all of your direct patient care employees and even beyond that, also your contracted people. So your CNAs, your nurses, your DON, people who impact how the care is delivered to the residents. And they compile, they collect all of your hours, and then they also pull your census information from your MDS or your minimum data sets, which is how you report what level of patient care residents require, and figuring out how many hours should each resident get, or how many hours should the facility staff in a day to make sure these re- the residents they have are taken care of. So there is actually a formula based on the types of residents you have, the care that they need, and the staff, and there you have to meet that criteria in some in some way. Yep, so there's six different metrics they evaluate. The first two are just based on the data you submit. You submit data for your RNs, and then for all nursing personnel, when they evaluate the RNs, they're saying, do you have enough RN coverage to make sure these patients' residents are taken care of. And then the second metric that's just based on staffing is overall nursing. So RNs aren't the only one who are providing care to the residents. You also have your LPNs, you have your CNAs, your restorative aides, 
all these different positions that work in a nursing capacity, just not at the RN level. So you can have people that are at a lower level. You have to have some RNs at, at some level, but you can also have mm -hmm. lower aides and other staff that are helping out. Yep. Well, most nursing homes, unless you're a very small nursing home, you have to have at least one RN on staff sure. 24 hours a day. Oh, wow. Okay. And that cannot be your director of nursing. It has to be someone separate from, separate from that. Yep. Which in a lot of our, well, nursing homes in general, I'm sure, and a lot of our rural areas can be challenging. Very difficult to yes. find someone who's qualified to do that, especially if you're required 24 hours to have different staff. Yeah. With state and federal regulations, you have to have the a DON designated, which is your director of nursing, and they have to be a 40-hour-a-week position, so it has to be a full-time position. You can't have the DON show up, hey, I'm here on Monday, and I'm gone rest of the week. <laughs> a great gig. <laughs> that would be a good gig. But then also you have to have that RN registered nurse on the floor who's working with the residents eight hours a day minimum. So the payroll-based journaling is really just a way to kind of ensure that staff is not spread too thin or you're not too short on resources to take care of your residents. Is that accurate? Yep, that's a good way to say it. Up until recently, the, those two metrics I had mentioned had been the only two evaluated of if a facility is well-staffed. In the last year, they have added four more metrics. The first metric is on weekend staffing because that's when you lose all of your administrative nurses. You don't have your DON, your unit managers, anything like that in the building because they have that Monday through Friday job. Because you can look really good Monday through Friday for your staffing, but then you take out all of those management staff. And all yeah. of a sudden on the weekends, you're spread too thin. You yep. go from the A team on the weekdays to the weekends. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not like a patient only needs you Monday through Friday, eight to five. They're there yeah. for 24 hour care or overnight or overnight. Especially yeah. The overnight shifts are difficult to track also. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And finding and qualified people, people that want to work overnight. Right. You want to work overnight in a nursing home in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, come on. Mm -hmm. The other three metrics they have added recently is RN turnover. Since they always focus so much on that RN position, they also want to evaluate what's your turnover rate because they view that as something that influences patient care. Obviously, if you have new staff in there every week, they're going to view them as less familiar with the residents. Right. So you don't know what grandpa's needs are necessarily. After you're, you're not as familiar with what he, his history, what's been going on with him. Mm -hmm. Say a nurse has been there a year and had John Doe in the facility that entire time. That nurse is going to be very familiar with the resident. Right. Sure. There's one more. I okay. Yeah. So there's over overall turnover in the nursing department. So they go beyond just saying RNs. Do you have a lot of LPNs turning over and CNAs who also provide direct patient care? And then they assign points based on what your turnover rate is. Say you're a facility who experiences 100% turnover a year. You're going to get a ding for that on your staffing rating. Right, because you're doing tons of training. You've got a lot of people unfamiliar with patients again, procedures, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Charles, do they have numbers out at all for the, the COVID period as far as how many people quit in oh different boy. nursing homes? Are there numbers out there for that? If you drill down into the data that's on the Care Compare, which you can do, you could figure out like... As of today, so like what we're reporting now is going to be quarter one of 2023, so January through March. They'll have the last year's worth of data available. It's just drilling down to it and figuring out what were normal turnover rates. With CMS, they always say what they think 
is normal. So right. if they say 25% turnover in the RN is normal, that's what so you then get. you're within the perimeters of what is a tip that you would expect that to see. Is that true yeah. of all nursing homes regardless of where they're located? So if you're in a more urban area versus a more rural area, is that still the same? Like we, I mean, turnover in an urban area is higher, lower than a rural, vice versa. I don't know. I have seen and talked with folks, not necessarily in an urban area, but especially like eastern South Dakota, where the towns are so much closer together. Right. You do have people who and employees who will jump from this facility in this town to another facility. And a year later, that other facility may offer a wage rate and then they'll jump back. Or the, there, There's a lot of jumping around when there's facilities that are fairly close that people can Just drive to from right. home to it's get 15 to. 15 miles, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. close to whatever. Like, yeah. You look, yeah. look at a town like Rapid City, even where you have quite a few nursing homes, really. You have five, six nursing homes. You can kind of say, okay, I'm at nursing facility one, I'm getting paid X amount. I go here, I get paid a quarter more. They will move for that quarter because it's just driving to another part of Rapid City. Whereas maybe when you're in that nursing home that's in that rural setting, you're saying, okay, I might get a quarter more, but I got to drive 30 minutes now. So there has to be other factors at play. Maybe they're offering better hours or their benefits are better. Or mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen a lot of situations, in, especially in rural nursing homes where there are staff who have been there for 20 years because this is where they live and this is where their loved ones live and this is where the people that they care about live and yeah and so the turnover Mm -hmm. could be lower there could be lower there i don't know that for a fact i don't know the numbers but but the the difficulty is cms judges all nursing homes the same so whether they're rural or urban you get the same percentage of allowable of what they want to see as a normal level of turnover an allowable turnover so they're not taking a lot of factors into consideration. They're pretty much just looking at overall. These are the percentages we see as a whole. And this is what we mm-hmm. decided normal is. Okay. They they try to evaluate quarterly after the submission and say what is what is the normal now. But the, okay. because it takes so long to evaluate that data, that is a very slow moving target if it's going to move. So it yeah. could happen that one quarter, maybe 25% is a normal amount of turnover. Something happens and... Technically, it becomes 35, 40, 50 percent, but they're going to say, nope, it's supposed to be 25 because that's what it was last quarter. So they're going to they now if it becomes 35 is the new normal all the time for quarters for quarter after quarter, they'll probably evaluate and say 25 may not be realistic anymore. But it takes it takes some time. And Charles, they do that nationally. They don't do that based on uh, labor index areas or anything like that. Hmm. Because CMS published or CMS or Centers for Medicare and Medicaid published for the entire country at once. They're not even taking various factors of economic dependencies or any of that into consideration. Just, We're just looking just at what we think the nursing homes have reported. Mm-hmm. Rod brushing yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've talked a little bit about some nursing homes will do their own PBJ, but we also help certain nursing homes. Like, what is it that we add for a facility that might help? someone a facility that's considering doing it by themselves like what do you get when you work with an accounting firm like ours that specializes in pbj so for me i have about yet again going to age myself here about seven years of experience since pbj came out and i've reported on it the entire time a lot of what the value i add is i know what to look for unfortunately when cms started pbj they did not put out a lot of guidelines so i just ended up 
badgering their help desk for answers. Best way to get that <laughs> and, done. <laughs> and I think finally, I'm surprised I never somehow ended up on a do not respond to list or a junk mail list. But yeah, fly list, who knows? <laughs> eventually, I figured out all the questions to ask to get answers. So, Charles, what do you think is the time? Like, if a nursing home was doing that themselves, how much time would a, a office manager, they do it quarterly, correct? How much time would a business office person have to spend in order to get that information uploaded into CMS? So it depends a lot on your payroll system. If you have a really strong payroll system that is set up for PBJ, it can be a quick, hey, here's an hour process, if not less. Now, if you have a payroll system like some that I've seen that just don't do payroll-based journal, which is a huge issue or difficulty for these facilities, it can be hours, days of labor just to, because you have to then manually input all of those hours into the system. Oh, wow. Or even or even if you have a good system, but say the system isn't quite set up right to meet the function, yep. it can add hours of labor just reporting all of those different people. Because if, if you can't run a report off the system that will be accepted, you have to manually enter all of your nursing hours. So you could have a staff member who's, once a quarter, half their time is just devoted for days at a time to doing this, where mm -hmm. if you use our services, you can focus more on the patient care running your facility and let us handle that administrative. If you were doing it in a out of a payroll system that wasn't set for a PBJ, would it take you that same amount of time? I have some familiarity with Excel. And if I purchase or if we have access to a Excel to XML converter, I know how to lay out the sheet so that it will convert into an XML file and upload, but it's also a matter of what type of records can I get out of your payroll system to, that drop to Excel. My goal is always to, if I can't use an XML system that comes out of the system, I try to use Excel and convert it. So, and like you said, you also have the experience of knowing what questions to ask, what information you're going to need, mm -hmm. where if you do have an office manager, maybe who's new in the role, there's that learning curve as mm -hmm. well of figuring out even how to pull the information and what information they need to include. Mm -hmm. I would say along that line of thinking, especially it being like, you know, a, a quarterly task, it's going to be one of those things where unless you're doing that regularly, it's it's not necessarily going to stick in your brain super well or super efficiently the first few times that you do it. So. Mm -hmm. Just like doing any process, any process that repeats itself the first time you maybe do a payroll processing, it can be really difficult because maybe you never have processed payroll before. Right. And then all of a sudden you're doing it and you're like, I don't maybe don't know what I'm fully <laughs> what doing. What am I doing right now? <laughs> am I getting the information that I and, need? I don't know. But, but the nice part with payroll is usually it's biweekly or semi-monthly. So it's this reoccurring theme where it always it's coming back regularly. So you learn through repetition. But when it comes around once a quarter, it's really hard to have that repetition of hey, I just did this two weeks ago, or I did it two and a half weeks ago. No, I did this three months ago. What did I do three months ago? Then you're probably having to also document your processes so you have something to refer back to, which adds additional time yes. to the process overall. Yeah, that's a big lift. I would think most payroll software, are they, all, are they moving to having it PBJ ready? Yeah, so at this point, most payroll softwares have something in place for if they're in a nursing homes. Some of the smaller ones like QuickBooks Payroll, if you use their time tracking or anything like that, I don't believe QuickBooks Payroll has set anything up for it. But the larger ones, the Kronos, ADP, Paycom, Paycor, 
I solved, they've all implemented something in most of their systems too. So there's definitely the, to track it. There's benefits to making that investment in a system that does do it. So you're not having to do all the math. Then you're back to the cost of moving to a system that's more expensive. Is it worth it? Right. For this person's time and yeah, what is what is our five star rating code? Is it worth it to get the right numbers? You know, say say your payroll person or the person who uploads PBJ data is also your biller. Is there a value to getting them more time if their hours for PBJ is reduced so they can work more on their billing? Right. So then you get your billing percentage up higher. Facilities probably more financially stable. More money. On more money bringing in. Mm-hmm. You're not having to do the administrative tasks as much. But yeah, it is going to depend facility if, facility if that's worth it or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause some of those payroll softwares, while the I always say the price is worth it, there is a price tag to it that can be substantial depending on the size of your facility. Those are what get counted towards your rating. There are some things that get reported, like you have to report your dietitian hours, your medical director, your pharmacist hours. You have to report those three. They do not influence the rating that publishes. Oh, but you do have to report them. But they're a regular, you're regulatorily required to have those positions, so you're regulatorily required to report them. Okay. okay. So let's switch gears a little bit here and talk about what, like, some best practices for nursing homes. So for an administrator, um, the DON, like, what are some of the areas that they should focus on specifically when it comes to either maintaining a high rating or trying to increase their star rating? In my mind, I wrote this note down. Basically, it's your surveys. You need to know what they're going to be looking at. Your staff needs to know what they're going to be looking at. Um, Doing mock surveys during the year, uh, administratively staying on top of making sure that you're training your staff to be prepared at any time to be Mm -hmm. doing and following the regulations for patient care. It's you're prioritizing your focus area. And it has to be not just the month that your survey is coming in. You need to train and educate that this is how we do it all the time. This isn't this isn't a one-off thing right. when the survey is so there's a test coming up and we're going to study for it ahead of time. No. <laughs> you gotta know it all the time. And obviously with turnover, which yep. is part of the staffing, you have so much turnover. You're training new people all the time and you're constantly trying to keep people invested mm-hmm. in the care mm-hmm. and making certain that they're doing things right catching yeah. something before because a family member says and wants to report you saying i know that this isn't my job but i noticed that resident x is having a problem with this shall we look That's into it. it yeah it's so there is even so we talked about that care and compare is useful for consumers and for investors but even from an administrative standpoint Knowing what your star ratings are, knowing, drilling down, going in there and looking at it yourself as an administrator, that's also really important too. I think so. Definitely as an administrator, mm-hmm. as a director of nursing, as any, as a social services director, as, even as an activities director, it, I think all the upper level staff in a nursing home should be aware of what their rating is and what contributes to their rating. Because mm-hmm. all the one thing is, is with the MDS, which sets part of how you get rated in the quality measures and the nurse or in the staffing is all of those departments contribute some part to the MDS, primarily nursing, but activities has a portion of the MDS, dietary does, they play into how the residents are cared for. So it's important to know your part so you can understand what it affects it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jackie, you hit the nail on the head. 
100% being aware of what's going on in your nursing home. Is your nursing department meeting standards or have they had some struggles in some areas? Running those mock surveys, if you can schedule it and figure it out, because those will allow you to plan out better for when the surveyors do show up. Yeah, I suppose if you do mock surveys, then when they do show up, it's probably a lot less stressful than everybody else because, you know, you've effectively already been through it multiple times. Is that um, is that a pretty common thing or is that just are mock surveys run by like the majority of facilities or just kind of those top tier ones or how common is that? I think that when like the quality measures came out, I think that a lot of nursing homes may not have had done a specifically a survey or a mock survey, but they do follow a list of quality indicators that they want their staff to always be focused on. The mock surveys, I think, a lot of times pertain to maybe a larger group of nursing homes that have someone in a home office that's considered a nursing consultant, and that person mm-hmm. will go around to different buildings and and verify and check at those buildings if if you've got an individual small nursing home in a small town, it's a little more difficult for them to sure. to get somebody out that's not part of the nursing home to come in and say, let's try this or let's try that. Um, mm-hmm. But you can go on to CMS and you can see the kinds of things that a surveyor looks for. Sure. So, you know, you can go mm-hmm. with the state and see this is what they're going to be looking for, set up some sort of plan. You could create mm-hmm. an Excel spreadsheet and have like the criteria and kind of just go through and do that. Or just know? plan as, as a nursing staff or even the whole staff, what training plans and things that you need to do to make sure that people know that this is what's expected and this is what the standard is. And this is this is what we get great. How you have to do it. Yes. Yep. Even if you're in the kitchen in the dietary, you still have to know this is what the state expects me to do as an employee of this nursing home and do it, I guess. So of the the highly rated nursing facilities that you guys have worked with, what what sets them apart? What do they do differently than even an average or a, a lower tier nursing home? So what I always see with these, with the facilities who have a higher rating, they always have really strong leadership in kind of the two key areas. It's always in the, the administrator is always very in touch with their facility. They're aware of what's going on in their facility and what needs to be done. And then also the DON is right there beside them because those two positions, because of how much of the survey is focused on resident care, mm-hmm. when those two positions are aware of what's going on in their facility, and making sure residents receive the proper care. If you can start with having those positions be like that, you're already a step ahead. I agree. It's upper management is always in any business, in any company, your upper management is going to dictate and try to lead the the rest of the staff. And I agree. Everything trickles down from there. Be aware, care about your staff, care about your residents, show that, yeah. It is. It's a business, but you also it's a highly uh, relationship driven. So relationship driven. Everything in a nursing home is about the people. Because if you want to keep your staffing levels high, you have to care about your staff Mm -hmm. and take care of them so that they take care of the residents. Make them feel like they are contributing to what the success, the purpose of the business. This is. Right, which is taking care of people. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Very, a very vulnerable people. Are. Very much so, yeah. And something they always talk in like business psychology or business ethics is the tone at the top. 
if you have those two people being the tone at the top as a positive group of people, you're going to hire stronger, better people who will meet that tone and make sure that the cares and the job functions are done correctly. Makes total sense because, yeah, they're going to relate to you that this is something that is really important, taking care of the elderly. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a lot of people that can do that. And it's a special, it's a very specialized niche kind of thing. takes a certain kind of person, but it is really, really important for the health of society, for the fan. It's not even just the residents, it's their family members, that they Mm -hmm. can rest easy. I mean, that's a, a huge thing in a lot of the smaller communities, too. It's where else will the people go, you know? Exactly. Mm -hmm. If they aren't here, how far away from their family are they going to be? Yeah. And in some cases, you've taken people away from their families. And so this becomes their family and you have to take care of them, do the right Mm -hmm. thing about them. Okay. Um, Jackie, can you talk a little bit about the the Medicaid rates in the state of South Dakota and what's happening with those? Yes. Um, The state of South Dakota, the legislature, um, during their recent session, approved 100% reimbursement for a new rebasing of the Medicaid rates in the state, which hasn't been done in years. They are being rebased based on the CMS PDPM, the Medicare. It's a per patient day PDPM. Come on, Charles, help me out with that. Patient, patient, driven, patient payment driven payment model. Payment model. Oh, okay. patient driven payment model. And so um, the, state, yeah. <laughs> the state is rebasing their rates based on what CMS is doing with the, the Medicare rates, what they did several years ago with changing the, re- the basing of the Medicare rates. Okay. So starting July 1st of this year, the rates are cal- being calculated differently and differently meaning in a much more financially advantageous oh, so way for a nursing homes. Okay, so it's actually yes. a benefit for nursing homes. Huge benefit for the nursing homes. Uh, mm. Obviously, we won't know until we actually see the numbers and the dollars come through, but the state of South Dakota has been underserved is, with the Medicaid rate for years. There's been a huge gap between costs and how much they're getting paid. So this will hopefully bridge that gap and maybe balance that out a little bit, especially at a time where nursing homes are struggling to find staff. Yes, struggling to find staff. They'll be able to hopefully pay a better wage, get some better qualified people. You're not getting that the Medicaid reimbursement rate, then that makes it hard to do anything with salaries. Right, right. If Mm -hmm. that rate is stagnant or far below what costs are, yeah, in the state. So the new rebasing is going to be based on costs and it's going to be based on the every, the yearly cost report. So every year as your costs fluctuate and change, so too will the rates fluctuate. Oh, okay. So it will actually keep up instead of just being the, instead of, what it is. Yes. Instead of just being, say, if inflationary adjusted, you know. And like that. I could actually. Wow. It's it's good news. It is good news. It's wonderful news. And it also because part of the problem that we've kind of talked about earlier with the staffing is that nursing homes have not been able to keep employed staff. Right. And so they've had to go to contract nursing agencies to get people to come out of Rapid City to go to a town in the middle of South Dakota somewhere. Um, And it's far more expensive. Right to pay that than it would be to keep an employee on staff. So if you can start offering something higher than what they're paying this person to work at McDonald's, you can get somebody in there that you don't have to have come from a different state or a different city to come work in 
in your nursing home so that you can actually focus on your patient care. Yes, and you can keep people unemployed here. You can train them. They can get comfortable. They can get better and more efficient at their job. And so then you're not having the higher turnover rate. And whereas with contracted staff, a lot of the times you can try to renew and keep the same contracted employee, but the contracted agency doesn't always do that. And also the employee may say, you know, I'm from a town of 80,000. So there's usually a little bit, there's stuff to do, but now I'm living in this town of 2000. This isn't, this isn't my cup of tea personally. This is not what I signed up for. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, there is bright news on the horizon for, That's great. um, I think a lot of nursing facilities can improve their star rating. Yeah. If they have more money to work with, then there can be things and positive change to make. You can do some of the things. You can do mock surveys, but you can also just improve the quality of care because you have people that are maybe there and they know the residents and they yes. understand how things yep. work. And I'm trained constantly. And yep. yeah, cool. That's a good thing. Yeah. So in addition to what Jackie shared, and she and I sent some messages back and forth with the change to using the PDPM metrics within the state. Overall, the PDPM metrics have a higher acuity, which means that facilities, even though their case mix really hasn't changed, they have the same residents from before. Those same residents will be with that higher acuity. They, the state does pay more for that acuity. Yes. Cool. Thank you both for this was really this was really informative. I think this is really interesting for people that run nursing homes, for people who maybe have family members that making decisions when it comes to choosing a nursing home. So yeah, this is gonna be an awesome topic for a lot of people. So thanks you guys both for being here. Thank you, Hillary. And now the legal stuff. This podcast and associated communications are intended to provide general information about tax, finance, investment, and other financial matters. Although Casey Peterson LTD has made every reasonable effort to ensure that the information provided is accurate, we make no warranties expressed or implied. Be aware that this is not a comprehensive analysis of the subject matter covered and is not intended to provide specific recommendations to you or your business. Investment advisory services are offered through Advantix Planning Partners. Commission-based securities products are offered through Advantix Investment Services. Member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Insurance services are offered through licensed agents of Advantix Planning Partners. 3200 Olympus Boulevard, Suite 100, Dallas, Texas, 75019. The Advantix entities are independent of and unrelated to CPS Financial Services, LLP. Although Advantix does not provide or supervise tax or accounting services, our financial professionals may offer these services through their independent outside business. Not all financial professionals are licensed to offer all products or services. Financial planning and investment advisory services require separate licenses. Hey, Evan. Hey, Hillary. How much does a nursing home weigh? Ooh, uh, I, I don't know. A lot, probably. Tons of grams. <laughs> oh, because there's the gram is up in there. All up in there. 